as a way of starting this morning, let's um, have the children come forward. And um, we'll have just a little uh, time of talking about things. So. So we're going to be talking about Abraham this morning, and um, we're going to talk about names. So um, how many of you all have had a pet that had a name? Maybe you all had a, like a pet goldfish or a iguana, maybe a small alligator you kept in your bathtub. Yes? Mm-hmm. Okay, very good. Uh, a hamster named Peppa. Yes, Grayson. Oh, that's a very sad story. Did the bunny have a name before the raccoon ate it? Fuzzy. Fuzzy. That's an excellent name for a bunny. If it was a bald bunny, you wouldn't want to name it Fuzzy, though, would you? When I was a boy, we had a, a saying about Fuzzy Wuzzy was a bear. Have you ever heard that saying? Okay, well, maybe you can ask your parents to tell you about that later on. Um, but it doesn't really have much to do with Abraham, so we won't go that down that trail. Um, so when I was a boy, we had uh, we had a lot of animals, actually. Um, and um, we had cats that had kittens. Have you all ever had kittens around your house? Yeah? Okay. And um, did you give them names? Yes, Sophie. Okay, Martha, that's a good name. That's almost like your grandmother's name, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Oster and Cupcake. So when, I, when we named our kittens, we named them um, after um, qualities that we thought that they had. So, so like we named one Greedy because we thought he just ate more than all the rest of them, and he would sort of push the other kittens out of the way. And... Um, and um, then we named another one Sleepy because he seemed like he slept all the time. Um, and there are probably other ones, too. They sound like names you would name dwarves, don't they? So, um, and then we had two horses. We didn't name our horses, um, but can you all guess what our horses were named? I'll give you a big hint. They were named exactly the same thing. So this must be a common name for horses, just like, uh, say... I don't know. What's the most common name here? Um, well, we don't have many repeat names, do we? So, um, well, our horses were both named Buck. That, I guess that's a good name for a horse. Um, and um, they were older horses. Um, apparently, we were um, we got them at an auction and we bid against um, glue makers. Did you know that they made horses that glue out of horses? Apparently, they do. So anyway. Um, so we named one Brown Buck because, um, and the other one Regular Buck. So Brown Buck, he was brown. You can imagine how he got his name. And then Regular Buck wasn't brown, and so that was um, the easy way to do it. So I was thinking about how I got my name. So my name is a long name. It's Vincent John Bradford Waldron. How do you think I got those names? What do you think, Elise? By seeing. Mm. 
Yeah, actually, my mama gave me those names, okay? And I was named after two of my grandfathers, so that's a common thing. Sometimes people get named after their father or their grandfather, and um, that's a common way that people get their names. But in Bible times, people got their names for characteristics that, um, that happened. So, um, so Jacob was somebody in the Bible. Um, and what does Jacob mean? Jacob is here, so he'll tell us. Okay. Yeah, so Jacob means, um, it could, there's different ways that you could translate it, but it, it means heel grabber, because he was holding on to Esau's heel when he was born, so that's kind of a, a weird thing. Um, and um, some people said that that meant supplanter or usurper. Um, so do you, does anybody know what Esau meant? Ah, Esau meant red. So apparently he had red hair or... I don't know, he looked red, I, who knows. But So they named the, these children after things, um, and then even as they grow up, they, um, they still kept those names. But eventually, they got new names. So, um, so Jacob got a new name. Does anybody know what Jacob's new name was? So Jacob, um, there was one night that he wrestled with God, and at the end of it... Um, he, um, he said, hmm? Yeah, God gave him a new name. He called him Israel, which means one who wrestles with God. So um, if you all don't like your names when you get older, I guess you could change your name, couldn't you? Uh, any of you all think you're going to change your name when you get older? Sometimes when people get older, they just go by their middle name. That's another thing that sometimes people do. Yes, Grayson. That's right. That's right. And that's what, that's one of the things we're going to talk about this morning is Abram and Sarai had their names changed. So Abram, when he was born, his daddy named him Abram. But when Abraham got into his 90s, that's pretty old. I don't think there's anybody in their 90s here today. Um, God changed his name. Do you think it was hard for Sarah to get used to calling him Abraham instead of Abram? She probably just called him honey for short anyway. So um, so my hope for each one of you is that when you grow older, that if people would call you something based on who you are, that it would be something really wonderful and God-pleasing. So you can go back to your parents now. that. Um, so we are going to be talking about a couple different things here this morning. We're going to be um, um, working from Genesis chapter 17, and I feel a little discombobulated here because this chapter is kind of all over the place. And so we're going to be um, um, talking about a new name for Abraham. We're going to be talking about um, um, circumcision and what that means in a new covenant um, time period. So we're going to go through all these different things. Um, but we're jumping forward a little bit here. Abram is now 99 years old, um, and I think he's feeling a little more relaxed. So he's got a son. It's not Isaac. 
but he's okay with that. Ishmael's, Ishmael's pretty decent, and um, he's sure that things are going the way that they should be. And, um, and so here in this chapter, we're going to see that God reaffirms his covenant with Abram. Um, he changes his name and Sarah's name, and then, um, and then he institutes circumcision. So we're going to kind of cover all that, and then we're going to try to make some New Testament applications. So, um, and I just would note at the beginning here that Jews made a lot of circumcision, so it's hard for us to understand this um, today. Um, but, you know, if you look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 5, one of the things Paul mentions is that he was circumcised the eighth day, which, you know, it seems like a silly thing to be proud of, right? He, he didn't, like, volunteer, raise his hand and say, you know, I want to make sure you all get this taken care of. It's just something that happened to him. And yet, this is something that, um, that Jewish people felt made them Jewish. So, let's go to Genesis 17. We're going to read the first eight verses here. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So we've talked a lot of, about covenants recently, and I don't want to focus on that so much this um, today, but God constantly reaffirmed his promises to Abram. And this may not seem like much to us, but you have to understand that this is over a 25-year period of time. So 25 years is longer than some of you all have been alive. And if somebody told you something 25 years ago, you might not remember it today, even if it was something that was really good. And if they didn't reaffirm it to you, you would be sure that they forgot. Now, God never forgets, and if he promises something, he's definitely going to carry it out. But maybe Abram needed a little bit of reminding like we do, and God understood that. So what are the things God promised Abram? He says many descendants. He says that some of those descendants will be great people, okay? They will be kings. They will be important people. Um, that God would give them possession of the land of Canaan, and that the term of this covenant would be forever. So going back just a little bit, God identified himself as the Almighty God, and he asked Abram to walk before him and be blameless. And maybe this was divine recognition of the fact that Abram hadn't been everything he was supposed to be to this point. Um, and I like the idea of walking, you know, and walking close to God. Uh, Elise hates to be far away from her mother. She's just a really um, a mama girl. And, and if 
the ring gets out of her sight, it doesn't matter what, what she's doing, um, Elise starts to get upset, and she'll say, where's my mama, where's my mama? And often thought that uh, a theme song for her life could be, sometimes I feel like a motherless child. She's not a motherless child, she's got a mother, but if she can't lay eyes on her at all times, that's a problem for her. And yet, at the other's hand, you know, how many of you all have seen somebody running through a parking lot after a little small person who you assume is related to them and trying to catch them? And that person, that little small person, wants to get away. I'm not sure where they think they're going, but they do, definitely do not want to hold somebody's hand, and um, they definitely don't want to walk beside that person who's chasing them. And our tendency is to want God to help us. When we need help, and the rest of the time, let us do our own thing. And that's not what God asks from Abram, and he's not what he asks from us today. So blameless living is what we are called to, and we cannot walk blamelessly without God's help. And the two of these things go hand in hand, walking before God and purity of living. So we want to be perfect like God. You know, Jesus said in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And that's not, you know, Jesus knew we would, we would never measure up. If you read the Sermon on the Mount, it can be kind of discouraging because it just feels like there is too much there. You know, it's just like, well, I'll just, I'll work on the Beatitudes. Those seem like I can do them just because they're not specific. But there's a lot of other things that um, kind of just feel like they're too much. So now we come to the place where God changes Abram's name. So Abram and Abraham are actually kind of similar names. So we know that um, Abba means father, right? So you hear Abba, that's what the Ab and Abram and Abraham is referring to, father. And Ham means a multitude. Um, and I've seen it described as Abram is looking back. So it means exalted father, but he was looking back to his father, saying, my father, Terah, is a great man. Um, and I guess that's a... Whereas Abraham is looking forward. He's looking to the children who have not yet arrived, but are going to be coming. And later on, God is going to change Sarai's name to Sarah. And I was just kind of looking over this, just like what I was sharing with the children. I was thinking about the names that people give their children. Um, and I knew a, a, a pair of siblings who um, were named Chaos and Havoc. Um, and that seems like kind of a strange thing. Uh, you know, if those people's parents um, um, thought that their lives were somewhat upset by having children, or maybe they just thought these were wonderful names that stood out from all the other, you know, like Paul and John kinds of names that are out there. Um, Frank Zappa um, was some kind of a singer, and he named his daughter Moon Unit. And Elon Musk, um, who you um, um, have heard of, he was, he, he's one of the richer men in this world. Um, he named one of his children, and I, I'm not going to be able to say this, because it's, um, I don't know, um, it's X, A-E-A-Dash 
I, XII. Um, so they just call it X for short. So I guess that's maybe where he got the idea for Twitter's renaming. Um, and he also had another child named Exadark Side Rail. So I could understand if any one of these children grew up and said, you know what, I'm going to change my name to John Waldron. <laughs> Can't think of worse things. Um, I doubt they will do that, but they might, they might ask to be called something different. Um, but Abram was a, it was a good name. It was a serviceable name. And when people talked to him, I don't think they thought, you know, that, what was your father thinking when he named you? But God gave him a better name. And a lot of times we're looking for that better name, aren't we? And it's wonderful if that new name that God gives us describes something wonderful about us. God knew Abram's future, and he knew the future of the people that would come from Abraham. Um, I was, this, this is kind of a random story, but on July 2nd of 1881, President James Garfield was shot in a train station in Washington, D.C. Um, and there was in the train station when he was shot a doctor Dr. Willard Bliss, who is a former army surgeon, and he, um, and he came by and he helped take care of Dr. Gar um, President Garfield until he died. Um, and um, the interesting thing is that when Dr. Willard Bliss was born, his parents gave him the first name of Doctor. So he was a doctor even before he went to school. Um, and so then, I guess after he went to medical school, then he became Dr. Dr. Willard Bliss. Although people, I think, just still call him Dr. Willard Bliss. Revelations 2, verse 17 says, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. And I was thinking of, of Simon Peter. You know, this is a New Testament person. Um, and the name Simon means listener or hearer, which kind of seems funny because Peter didn't do much listening. He did a lot more talking. But Jesus renamed him Peter, didn't he? He said, your faith is a rock. And, and at some point in the future, the people around you will rely on your faith for strength. And God sees where we're headed to. And he has a name that he has for us. And it's a good name. It's not a bad name. It's not something that's, you know, it's a secret name that, um, you know, like, well, when you're a child and, you're, and your mother or father uses all of your names, it usually means you're getting into trouble, right? Um, so usually they just use your first name. But, you know, they you can tell by their tone of voice and just... Um, how many names they use, how bad trouble you're in. But God has a special name that, that he uses for us, and it's a wonderful name that speaks to our future. Let's go on and read verses 9 through 22. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days 
old among you shall be circumcised, every male child in your generations. He who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant, he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall, must be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Then God said to Abram, Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name, and I will bless her. And also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. King of peoples shall be from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Then God said, No, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and I will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Isaac shall bear to you at this time next year. Then he finished talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. So... Maybe it's interesting to notice here Abraham's attitude towards Ishmael. Um, sometimes we think of um, Ishmael as the as the despair, the, the child that really shouldn't have existed. But Abraham loved Ishmael, and he wanted God's blessing on Ishmael. And yet I wonder how often it is that God sees us on a path that is the wrong path. And he tries to get us to move to something different. And all the time we are praying, God, bless this path that I'm on, that you don't want me to be on. And in a sense, we're doing what Abraham is doing there, saying, God, bless Ishmael. Look, I've done this thing. Sarah and I have done it, and we want you to bless this thing that we have done. And the biggest problem in life is when we realize that we've taken the wrong path, and we just continue on that path for another three miles, another year or two. You know, if you have a GPS, um, your GPS will tell you, uh, you know, when you get, go past the place you're supposed to turn, um, and maybe you all never do that, but... It'll say, you know, make a U-turn, or it'll say, turn right, or it'll do all sorts of things to try to get you back on track. And yet we just keep going a little bit farther, just, you know, maybe the GPS is wrong, or I don't know, we just have our, our mindset that we can keep going the same way. And God was going to bless Ishmael. He had told Hagar that, but that did not mean that he was going to be the ancestor of Jesus or the father of the Jews. And that was, that was where Jesus was going to be descended from. Sarah was going to bear the promised child. And I do think it's really interesting, isn't it, that God is affirming the importance of the mother here. So I think in our culture today, we, we tend to look 
more importantly on, on men. Men are the, are the important thing. And yet God is saying here, you know, it's not just important that Abraham is your father. It is important that Sarah is your mother. And here Abraham was not believing. You know, it says he fell on his face. Um, it seems like it's probably as much to cover his laughter as anything. Um, and I, I don't think it was a believing sort of laughter. He, he wasn't laughing because someone told him a joke. He was laughing because he didn't think this was going to happen. And he didn't want to tell God, you know what, God? You don't know what you're talking about. I'm too old. I'm going to be 100 next year. That's a lot of candles on my cake. And, um, but God did know what he was talking about, didn't he? So we're going to move on to talk just a little bit about circumcision. Um, and I think it's hard for us to understand this. Um, this is something that identified Jews as Jews. Um, and it was mandated in this passage and again in the law that um, all boy children would get circumcised on the eighth day of life. And I imagine that in the Old Testament, um, the Jews put emphasis on this. They believed that if they were circumcised, they were going to heaven. That was it, okay? And they, they didn't need to do everything else. And yet, even in the law, even in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses said something different. Um, Deuteronomy 10, 15, and 16 says, The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples as it is this day. Therefore circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. In Jeremiah 4, verses 1 through 4, If you will return, O Israel, says the Lord, return to me, and if you will put away your abominations out of my sight, then you shall not be moved, and you shall swear the Lord lives in truth, in judgment, and in righteousness. The nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him they shall glory. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, and do not sow among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord, and take away the foreskins of your heart, you men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn, so that no one can quench it because of the evil of your doing. And now, the focus here is not on the external application. It is on the heart condition. Moses and Jeremiah were both saying, you people, even if your parents did something to you when you were eight days old, if your heart is not changed, you are not a child of God. There's something that needs to be taken away inside that heart of yours before you can really enter into God's grace. And you've probably heard the expression that beauty is only skin deep. Um, and what people are saying when they say that is that it is more important how people act towards you than how they look on the outside. And sometimes I think we do stuff because we, we have this misunderstanding that if I do this thing, um, I'm going to make God happy. Um, and if you think you make God happy by coming to church or by putting on the right clothes or putting money in the offering, then, then I think you've missed the bigger part of things. Those things are good. Those are fine things. But God is saying, do something deeper. 
The New Testament continues the same line of thought. So Romans 2, we're going to read verses 25 through 29. And then we're going to read a, um, a passage from Galatians. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you, who even with your written code and circumcision are transgressors of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. And the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. So, Paul had a, a really confusing way of saying things. But I think what he was getting at here is, if you think that only keeping this one little part of the law is going to be adequate, it's not enough. You have to keep every other part of the law in order to have that law be, be beneficial to you. Um, and so... You know, he says, you know, these Jewish people who are circumcised but are not following all the other things that Moses told them to follow, they're like someone who would go out to the store and buy a Harvard sweatshirt, okay? And they'd put it on, and they'd walk out there, and somebody would say, hey, did you go to Harvard? He'd say, oh, yeah, I went to Harvard. Can't you see my shirt? And um, start asking them some questions. Well, what did you study at Harvard? Well, uh, you know, and you ask them more and more questions, and you can realize they're, they're not Harvard material. They never set foot in, this, in the door. And in the same way, you know, if we are doing things just on the outside, but our heart hasn't changed, that's a problem. Galatians 5, we're going to read verses 1 through 12. So this is Paul talking specifically to a group of people called Judaizers who said that Christians, Gentile Christians, had to do um, certain things in the Jewish law in order to become Christian. And, and Paul, was, Paul was pretty upset with them about this. So Galatians 5, 1 through 12. Stand therefore, stand fast therefore in the liberty by which God Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you, that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. For we through spirit, the spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind. But he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. So I don't think that the Apostle Paul was 
was pressured as much by Gentiles as he was by the, by the Jewish people inside the church and outside the church. They were the people who were really upset at him, and they were the ones who got him into hot water with the Romans. So, you know, it's, sometimes we think, oh, you know, those Romans were terrible people, and they weren't great people. Um, but I, I think the Jewish people were a lot more upset. Um, and yet, at the same time, when you read about Paul, he, he did think circumcision was a, a mark of a godly heritage. So we have this conflicting thing where he had circ Timothy get circumcised, he didn't circumcise Titus, and it probably had to do with the heritage there. So Timothy's mother and grandmother were Jewish. Titus's family was all Gentile. It wouldn't have meant anything for Titus to get circumcised except just to say, you know, I've done this thing. So we're going to move on to the New Covenant covenant and just some applications here. So some people think that circumcision is reborn in baptism in the new, in the new covenant. And, and um, this, this turned into infant baptism. So you can see how if they say, well, you know, let's just baptize babies on their eighth day of life or something like that, and now they get special grace and they're going to go to heaven. And, you know, the same as, um, you know, what the, um, what the ancient Jewish people were doing. Um, Colossians 2, 11 and 12 says, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And, and here Paul seems to be making a connection between baptism and circumcision. But I think it's more than that. So the Anabaptists believed, and I, I think rightly so, that baptism should happen to people who understood clearly what they were choosing and were committed to following Jesus. So just as a surgery removes part of, part of us, so too baptism is a sign that our hearts are being cleansed from sin. So... And we're going to talk just a little bit more about that in a second. So we're going to finish up this chapter here. Genesis 17, 23 through 27. So Abraham obeyed. So Abraham took Ishmael, his son, all who were born in his house, and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very same day as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very same day, Abraham was circumcised, and his son Ishmael, and all the men of his house, born in, in the house, were bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Abraham obeyed immediately. And I think our human tendency is to wait a bit, hoping that God will change his mind. Um, and, um, and Abraham just stepped right in. And so when God asks us to do something that we think is just not quite, we, we don't understand it. The question is, how quick are we to enter into that, to obey what we read in the Bible that he's asking us to do? And I see a lot of people today pushing back on things that for years and years the church has said, you know, this is what the Bible means. 
And people say, well, but I don't understand it. Would God expect me to do something that I don't understand? And the Bible is full of stories of people who did something in faith, not understanding why they were asked to do it, and were rewarded for that faith. So you think of Joshua marching around the walls of Jericho, or Gideon marching against the Midianites with 300 men equipped only with torches and trumpets and bowls. And my son Elliot would be glad if the, he went out uh, with trumpets, but you know, you can't beat people, you can't beat up too many people with a trumpet. I mean, it's just not a weapon. Um, God sent Naaman to wash seven times in the Jordan River. And the reality is God does not explain himself. He asks us to do something, and maybe we can sort out why he asks us to do it, but there is a blessing when we obey what God has asked us to do. So, I was thinking about... Um, circumcision of the heart. What does this mean? Um, and I remember when I was a student, um, I was working with an oncologist um, surgeon and going in to talk to a lady who was going to have a very long surgery. She was gonna, it was going to take 11 or 12 hours to do all the surgery that needed to be done. And she said to the oncologist surgeon, you know, I don't care how long it takes. I want you to make sure that everything is taken care of when you're done. Do not leave anything behind. And that's the perspective we have to have when we're asking God to cleanse our heart. Do not leave anything behind. My uncle was a healthy man, and there was one day, um, it's probably 11 or 12 years ago, he started noticing that he was getting short of breath when he was walking around the city of Philadelphia where he lived. Um, it just wasn't right. He, he just, his heart rate would speed up more than usual and he just wasn't feeling like himself. And so he ended up going to a family doctor and then on to a cardiologist and they did an echocardiogram on him and they saw that his heart was not functioning very well at all. It was functioning terribly. And they, they believed that he probably had some kind of a viral cardiomyopathy. So he had a virus. And then after that, his heart just stopped working the way it was supposed to. And within a day or two, they put him in the hospital. And they told him, you will not go home from the hospital. You will either get a heart transplant or you will die in this hospital. Those are the two options. There is nothing else that we can do. And so he sat in there waiting to see if he would get a heart. And they put a, a aortic balloon pump in. They did all the sorts of things that you can do from a medical standpoint to try to help the situation. And his heart just kept deteriorating. And then one day they got a, a call that someone had died and that there was a heart available. And within a few hours he was in surgery um, and now 10, 11 years later, he's still living. And to me, this is what happens when we enter in salvation. So first of all, someone has to die in order for us to get a heart transplant. And that person is not another human. That person is Jesus Christ. There's some 
transplants you can do from a living person. I knew a lady who, who donated a kidney to her sister. But a heart is different. You cannot live without a heart. And if I give you my heart, I don't have one. And yet Jesus died for us so that we could have that heart transplant. And the second thing is that you don't leave the old heart in. You take it out. That old heart is good for nothing. You don't want it in there anymore. Once again, there's some transplants where you leave the old organ behind. It's not doing anything bad. And so, you know, but in this case, there's just not a lot of space there. And so you take the old heart out and you put a new heart in. And you realize, you know, this old heart was dying. It was not any good anymore. Two hearts are not better than one. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And I'm afraid that sometimes we go to God and we're a little bit the opposite of that lady with the cancer. And we say, you know, God, I want you to change me, but I want you to leave behind this and this and this. And we have a list of things that we'd just like him to, to leave well enough alone. Ezekiel 11, 19, and 20. Then I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within them and take away the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. So, I was thinking about um, antibiotics, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if I would ask how many of you all have some antibiotics in a cabinet at home uh, that are just left over from some time in the past, many of you would raise your hand. Um, I, I look at our cabinet, and we do have some antibiotics. They're actually my dog's antibiotics, and I guess my dog was feeling better, and so we, we stopped giving her the antibiotics. Um, but what this says to me is that we want to take things long enough that we feel better. We feel better about ourselves. We feel like our life is going better, but we don't want to change all the way. There's a 49-year-old man named Shai Amal Turkey, and I've probably butchered that name, but I don't. Uh, anyway, he lived in India, and he began to have a growth in his abdomen. And for some reason or other, his family was convinced that this growth came from the fact that he was possessed um, by a ghost. Um, his family was very ashamed of him. Um, I guess someone has an abdominal growth plus they're possessed by a ghost. Um, but they saved up their money and they took him to a witch doctor. Um, and he did what witch doctors do, um, but he did not help the situation. You can imagine. Um, finally... When he began to vomit up everything that he ate, they took him to a surgeon who got a team of doctors together and they removed a 44-pound tumor from his abdomen. And after he recovered from surgery, he was able to return to life and function and eat again. And so I would ask you, what would you do if you had a 44-pound tumor in your stomach? So you might go to a witch doctor who would do some incantations and give you some special herbs and things like that. And, you know, you know we can argue about um, alternative medicine doctors, but, you know, they're, they're different things. If you have a 44-pound tumor, you probably just need to have it taken out. 
Um, you might go to a doctor who would try to get you to feel better about the tumor. You know, if you just come to peace with it and, and, and just mind over matter, try to deal with the pain and, you know, you might go to a doctor who told you you needed surgery and you would get upset and you would leave. And you would say, you know, that kind of doctor is why people don't trust medical doctors anymore. Look at my stomach. Do I need surgery? I need the right kind of doctor. Or you might go to the doctor and you would, he would say, you need surgery. And you would say, I am ready tomorrow. Sign me up. And we talked about covenants in the Old Testament being sealed with blood. And that term comes from the Hebrew word from cutting. And when they would do a covenant, they would cut an animal and they would stand between it and they would say their, their vows. But in this case, we are letting God cut away the bad parts of our heart, the bad parts of our lives. James 1, 21 through 25 says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his spiritual face in a mirror. For he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this one will be blessed in what he does. And I think James is just basically saying, be willing to go under the knife. Let God take away everything that is not pleasing to him. And I know many people struggle with things like Bible reading and devotional life. But James is talking about people who read, who pray, and yet somehow are never changed. They never go under the knife. But this is what God has called us to. This is what the new covenant is, is letting God take that old heart out, that worthless heart that gets us into trouble, and put a new God on our heart inside.